At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Covering the sports betting landscape from coast to coast, this is Betting Across America on VSIN, the sports betting network. It's a great day to be alive, and it's a great day to be a better. Welcome inside the VEASAN studios here at the South Point Hotel and Casino. This is Betting Across America, presented by BetMGM. Jam-packed weekend in sports, NBA and NHL playoffs, PGA Championship at Southern Hills, the third round, and the Preakness Stakes at Pimlico. And with that, we say Adam Burke rolling alongside with me here in the VEASAN studios. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I got to work on my catchphrase to open the show. I'm know, hosting right? tomorrow night with Josh Towers <laughs> on the run line. So I got to have uh, I got to have something at the top of the show. You got a little bit of time until then. Check a out the bit. run line, 8 o'clock Eastern for you hardcore baseball folks. But make sure to tweet at the show. We're hanging out over the next three hours at VEASAN Live on Twitter. At Skating Tripods is where you can find Adam. At Femi Abebefe is where you can find me. A couple of great guests on the show today. Derek Cardi, MLB betting and fantasy analyst over at Roto Grinders, joins us in 30 minutes talking all things. Baseball. Is there value in the MVP or Cy Young market? We'll ask Derek. Howard Bender, Sirius XM Fantasy, checks in at 1030. We'll get Howard's thoughts on the week one NFL card because it's never too early to talk football. Also ask him about some regular season win totals. We'll have our eyes on the PGA Championship all throughout the show. Tiger Woods made it to the weekend. Cha-ching. All you people who bet him to make the cut. But he's not playing well. I believe he's about six over so far here in the third round. The NBA Eastern Conference Finals have shifted to Boston. Series tied at 1-1. We break down game three, tipping off later tonight in hour number three. And all eyes in the NHL will be on the gateway of the West. Colorado-St. Louis tonight. Game three will go over that in the third hour. But first, we look back at last night's action in the association. The Golden State Warriors, they defeat the Dallas Mavericks 126-117. to Warriors covered the six-point spread. The game goes well over the total of 216 here. Uh, your thoughts seeing the roller coaster ride that was game two? Yeah, roller coaster ride's a good way to put it. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how Dallas responds from what happened yesterday. You know, I mean, they were in position to even up this series. Luka had a very, very solid game, 42 points <laughs> after a very weak game one for him. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Brunson was even really good last night with 31. But to get... 73 points from those two guys and still find a way not to win the game and not even cover the number, which is a whole different discussion that I'm sure we'll get to here. Uh, just It's not a great look, not a great situation here for the Mavericks to where you figure you probably get the big game three push in the first quarter and in the first half, mm-hmm. but if that doesn't go well for them, I'm not going to say that they're going to roll over, but you know Doncic is clearly not 100% coming back from the calf injury. They've already played a lot of basketball here this season and in this postseason. You really worry about Dallas if they, if they don't get off to a good start in game three. Yeah, Luka Doncic, 42 points in this game for the Mavericks. Jalen Brunson had 31 points. But outside of those guys, Reggie Bullock, he had 21. Nobody else really contributed there. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie, who was the hero of game seven against Phoenix, he had four points, two of six shooting in 22 minutes. That's not what you want from Dinwiddie. For Golden State, though, I mean, Steph Curry's going to give you 32 points. And early on, Dallas just could not miss 
from three-point land. I mean, they had a 72-58 to lead at halftime. They led by as many as 19 points, but then the Golden State Warriors outscored them 68-45 to in the second half. And this is kind of the fear with this Dallas team is that when they can make shots like any other team, they can be really good. And Jason Kidd even talked about that. He said, we play better defense when our offense is clicking. Second half, they went cold, and the Warriors got whatever they wanted. Yeah, and I think something that's another red flag for Dallas here in this series, they've taken 93 three-pointers through two games. <laughs> that's insane. Whereas Golden State, you know, and we think of Golden State as a jump-shooting team, a team that loves to bomb away from three. Mm-hmm. They've only taken 57 threes, and they're still up 2-0 in the series. So Dallas is back there chucking from three. Credit to the Warriors for their defensive strategy, kind of forcing Dallas to the outside. But the idea that Dallas has taken 36 more threes and is still down 2-0 in this series – that speaks to, you know, they've lost their defense. Their defense played really well in the tail end of that series against Phoenix where they got down 2-0, then won four of the next five games. The defense hasn't been there, particularly on the interior. There's only so much that Luka Doncic and company can do to try and outscore the lack of defense, and it's very hard to do that against the Warriors. Yeah, the Mavericks, and it seems like it's clear that they're going to try to just math their way to a series win, and that's what they did against Phoenix. They just kept chucking up all these three-pointers, but – I think the way that they play almost presents us with a really good live betting opportunity. I mean, think about the opportunity last night when Golden State is down 19 points in the first half here. You could have gotten some really good plus money prices on the Warriors to win the game or to even just take the points. I'm sure they were an underdog. Maybe they were getting nine and a half, ten points at the time since it was still early enough in the game here. But the three-point variance of this series it feels like is what's going to dictate who wins the game. Dallas made shots early, get out to the big lead. They missed shots late. The Warriors are going to get that chance to come back. I mean, Golden State's beating them up on the glass as well. I mean, they had 43 rebounds last night. Dallas only with 30 here. So if you have the rebound advantage with Golden State and the Mavericks are going to continue to just chuck up threes, maybe this is a series that you look to bet in-game. And the pre-flop number for game number three right now for Dallas is favored by two and a half. I would not, even if you liked Golden State, I wouldn't take the two and a half because there's a chance that Dallas starts fast. You can get a better number in game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the NBA playoffs are all about adjustments. You know, you've got mm. star players on all the teams that are remaining, star players on all the teams that actually make the playoffs. But, but it's about the adjustments and it's about the supporting cast. And, and Golden State's supporting cast has been better and they've made the better adjustments. Look, Golden State has 57 assists on 92 made shots in this series. Wow. Dallas has 36 assists on 68 made shots. So, you know, the Golden State Warriors are really sharing the basketball effectively, which is what we would come to expect from them. They look like a team that's just more accustomed to being in this situation, more accustomed to being in this role. They're playing their style. And while Dallas is maybe playing their philosophy, it's just not really working here against the Warriors. And you wonder after, you know what, 82 games in the regular season and the 15 or so that Dallas has already played in the playoffs, you you really wonder – Can they make that adjustment? Can they change the way that they Mm -hmm. play to be more effective against the Golden State team that obviously has the upper hand? What do you make of these big swings? And last night's game was a nine-point game, so theoretically it was really close there. But when you look at where Dallas was in the first half compared to the end of the game there, you can see that the Warriors definitely blew them out in that second half. But I know there was a lot of discussion on Twitter about these games and being blowouts and not having that many close games. And it feels like almost since that Sunday where we had those two game sevens, we haven't had a competitive game throughout with both teams being within maybe a few possessions of each other. What do you make of that? Is that just the, the variance of these three-pointers, or is there something else at play here in these NBA playoff games? 
I wish I knew because it, it makes a lot of these series and these games really difficult handicaps. I mean, you know, you think about game three coming up tonight between the Celtics and the Heat. Mm-hmm. Game one and game two were complete opposites. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were not remotely similar. And we've seen a lot of those Jekyll and Hyde types of performances from these teams where, you know, as you said, it ends up leading to a lot of blowouts. You know, we had a couple of close games in that Boston-Milwaukee series, the ones that mm-hmm. the Bucks won, of course, but the Celtics blew them out in almost every one of their four wins. So I think it makes it really, really challenging to know exactly what you're going to get from a team. To your point, maybe that leads to more investment in the derivative markets of betting first quarter, yeah. first half, second half, live in-game betting, stuff like that. Because just pre-flop, I mean, you don't really know what you're going to get from these teams, and, and I don't know what the explanation is. Yeah, it's interesting because game one, I bet Miami first half. And, of course, Boston started really well in the first half of that game. I'm like, are you serious? Like, what's going on? And maybe it was the rust factor for the Heat, and they ended up just blitzing them in the third quarter. That's how they were able to pull away and win game one there. But the first half or the end game, I think, is the opportunity. And maybe from an entertainment standpoint, it's not as appealing because these are larger margins of victory. They're blowouts in the playoffs. We hope that we get the close games, the tight finishes there every single night. But we're not getting that. But I think because we're not getting that, there actually is a betting opportunity versus in some cases when it's close throughout. I mean, it's pretty much a coin flip. Like, you know, it's it's hard to really just – uh Find the value when the two teams are so evenly matched from how the game plays out here. With the blowouts, maybe that's how we can attack these things. A team gets down early, maybe take the other team uh, on on the live number because it's a chance with the Golden State Warriors last night. That was a prime opportunity to do it. I was looking. I thought I, was, I thought about taking Dallas pregame, but I was like, you know what? I'm not really feeling it. But I don't. I don't think I would ever lay the points with the Warriors just because I think this is a much better spot for Dallas game two versus game one, and we saw that to start out the game. But then you see them just collapse in the second half to where the Warriors somehow, after being down 19, cover the number with ease. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe one thing I I could sort of speculate on here is that I feel like a lot of the teams, particularly in the Eastern Conference, had very similar baselines. Like, Like the expected performance for a lot of teams in the East, I think, was pretty even. But you have discrepancies between a team's ceiling and a team's floor. And Mm -hmm. I think there are some teams in the East where their floor is a little bit higher and their ceiling is much higher. And I think Boston has proven to be one of those teams. You know, I think their baseline performance is very, very good, but their ceiling seems to be higher than anybody else in that conference right now. And maybe the Warriors are just kind of falling into that mold as well in the Western Conference where, you know, their baseline performance will be solid because they're smart, they're savvy, high basketball IQ, take good care of the basketball, they make good adjustments, all of that. But when they really get going – you know, then we see them blow out Dallas in game one and then see them erase that 19-point deficit in game two. So I think maybe that's it, just the differences in ceiling between the teams. Warriors right now in the series price, minus 800 over at BetMGM, Dallas plus 550. They say the series series never starts until a road team wins a game. So technically, Golden State held serve here 2-0, and it doesn't matter if you lose by one or if you lose by 100, it's still 2-0. Any interest with the Mavericks here as they're going back home? I mean, this is a similar spot they were in against the Phoenix Suns down 0-2 and nobody really giving them a chance. Yeah, look, I mean, I I don't think I could take them from a series standpoint. Mm -hmm. I could certainly understand taking them in game three, you know, because this is their backs against the wall game. This is the game they have to win. If they go down 3-0, it's done. You know, it's just it's the nature of the beast in the NBA. So I think it's interesting to see this two, two and a half, not really see a ton of movement on the side here for this one yet. Yeah. That's kind of what I would wait for. Instead of jumping in on the series price now, wait and see where this line kind of goes and see if there is some sharp belief in the Mavericks here, at least for game three. 
Yeah, we'll take a look at Game 3 further in depth later on the show. We'll also take a look at Game 3 in the Eastern Conference between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics as that series has now shifted over to Beantown. Seeing a little bit of movement here on the total. The under appears to be getting hit. Open 208.5, now down to 207.5, even 207 in some places here in town. And there might be a little bit of interest in the Heatles. We'll discuss that. But on the other side, we go to Southern Hills to talk a little PGA Championship. This is Betting Across America presented by BetMGM. This is Betting Across America on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back. This is Betting Across America presented by BetMGM. Femi Bebefe hanging out with Adam Burke here in the VEASAN studios at the South Point Hotel and Casino. And we were talking during the break about the PGA Championship. It is moving day over at Southern Hills in Tulsa. Tiger Woods made it to the weekend like he did at Augusta National at the Masters. He made the cut. I had a bet on him, minus 120 to make the cut. So we cashed that yesterday evening. But it has fallen apart since there. Tiger right now is six over on his round. Now nine over for the tournament. And he bogeyed two, double bogey on six, bogey on seven, and a bogey on nine as he has now made the turn here. And we were talking about an interesting way to maybe play Tiger going forward in some of these tournaments. Yeah, you know, if you think back to the Masters, I mean, he made the cut. And then just completely ejected in the third round. Mm -hmm. And it was just ugly. And he's doing the same thing here today. Now, of course, the weather's a significant factor today. There's a, there's some drizzle. It's kind of an ugly day to play. Yeah. Winds are gusting up in the 20 to 25 mile per hour range. I mean, look, we've seen, you know, Colin Morikawa is three over today through 11 holes. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of guys are struggling out there right now. Jason Kokrak is three over through three holes. A lot of guys are struggling out there right now with the conditions, but Tiger, I think he just wants to make the cut. I think he just wants a paycheck, for one thing. But also, he just, you know, he had that string of making cuts for a long period of time. I think it's a point of pride for him. But when you watch him, he is laboring. Yeah. I mean, he looks physically bad. Not just the golf game today, but he just looks physically bad. So, you know, I think that's something where the, the first 36 holes, you know, hitting it through the wind, hitting it through all these different conditions, all that – they're really taking a toll on him and his body. So I don't know if he'll play the Open Championship. I presume that he will. Yeah, I think he you know, committed to it, I want to say. Well, look, so that's one of those things, right? I mean, obviously the weather, you know, that could always be a factor overseas. But to me, I think it's one of those things where if you want to bet Tiger to make the cut, you fade him in any matchup you can for the third round. Yeah, and it's interesting because Royal St. Andrews, it's a flat course. So it's not going to maybe ask as much from him for me just a – walking standpoint of things it'll just be a flat course he's not have to deal with all these hills and such but yeah i don't know if he has the gas in the tank to be able to go four rounds to do anything of significance here this feels like it's just a make the cut situation i did it at the masters did it here at the pga championship and that's probably going to be how i play tiger woods until further notice until he proves that he can play well on the weekend i think this is kind of how you have to attack things but like you mentioned though the conditions are rather difficult so it's not just tiger and his body and he's just not playing well they're dealing with some tough conditions here. When you look at the top of the leaderboard, we had the odds up to win the tournament, the live number. Will Zalatoris is our leader at nine under. He's plus 225 over at BetMGM. Justin Thomas is plus 350. Mito Pereira plus 550. He's in the final pairing with Zalatoris. Knowing what we know about these conditions, and I'm not sure if they're going to improve later on this afternoon, those guys tee off 11.50 Pacific time, 2.50 East Coast, I believe 1.50 Tulsa time. 
How should we go about playing this? Because Zalatoris, his putter is going, and it's red hot, and this has always been the piece of his game that's been missing, that people wanted to see improve for him to win these types of tournaments. But is the regression coming, and is there someone else that we can kind of use to fade Zalatoris at the top? Yeah, you know, it's always so difficult because you talk about the talent of a player like Zalatoris, and obviously he has all the tools tee to green, and then you mm-hmm. get to the green, and that's where you kind of worry about him. And you would especially worry about him, you know, as he starts to get a little bit more pressure from behind. You know, I don't know about Mito Pereira. Shoots a 64 yesterday. 64 would be an absolute miracle today, it would look like, <laughs> yeah. according to the conditions. But you start thinking about guys like Justin Thomas, like a Bubba Watson. You know, obviously, Rory was very good in round one, not so good in round two. But you start thinking about some of these veteran guys that, you know, they have the skill set as well, but maybe a little bit more wherewithal on a day where, mm-hmm. you know, you are going to have some miss hits. You are going to be off your line. You know, maybe you do have some long putts that you need to make a two putt as opposed to a three putt. That's where I think you kind of worry about a guy like Zalatoris. Does he have, you know, sort of that calming presence, that calming influence in him, especially if, you know, let's say, and obviously the conditions aren't great, but, you know, let's say a guy like a Terrell Hatton makes a push. He's two under right now, tied for 10th. Yeah. What if he makes a push early on in his round and then Zalatoris tees off an hour later and all of a sudden somebody at minus two is kind of creeping up to minus four, minus five, something like that, when a lot of guys are falling down the board? You know, maybe that puts a little bit more pressure on Zalatoris. So I think in, until he wins one and shows you that he can do it, I think you'd have to look at other people around the board. Yes, Tiger just bogeys another hole now. So that's back-to-back bogeys here for Tiger Woods. Ten over for the tournament here. Zalatoris, and I want to give him a little bit of credit because everybody, the first time when he made his debut at Augusta National, said, okay, well, I mean, you never bet on first-time players at the Masters because Augusta is one of those courses that you just kind of have to have the feel. And he finished tied for second in his debut performance at the Masters. So he's a guy who's played well in these big tournaments, just hasn't figured out the putter. But as someone who has a Zalatoris ticket in pocket, I mean, you got to be fearful of the regression coming because this guy is someone who doesn't make putts. And they talked about it on the broadcast. It's like, wow, he's, he's perfect, 10 feet in. And that's something that we never see from Will Zalatoris. I mean, I think from five feet, that's what probably the the, the most uh, nerve-wracking putts for him. That it gets a little shaky, but he's been able to get those to drop. Justin Thomas, to me, is an interesting guy, and he's second on the odds board because Justin Thomas yesterday played in the tough conditions and still shot a 67. If the conditions are just even a little bit better than they were yesterday, we'll see how things progress as we get into the afternoon and evening out there in Tulsa. He, he hasn't won a major in a while. I mean, it's 2017, the only major victory that he's won. He hasn't won in a calendar year. He could be due. And I, you hate to kind of have that sort of analysis of like, oh, so-and-so is going to be due to, to win. But Justin Thomas is as talented as anybody on the tour. And he's only a few show, shots back. And all it takes is one Zalator's bogey and maybe Thomas birdies. And then it's game on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and look, I mean, you look at Zalatoris here, and, and as you said, I mean, he's really putting it well this week. And and that's, as you mentioned, not the strong part of his game. I mean, look, he's still doing well. According to Data Golf, he's plus 4.13 strokes gained tee to green. So he's played well in that regard, too. But that consistency is, is something that's so hard to achieve in golf. And, you know, you think about guys like a Justin Thomas, who he's done that before. You know, he's been mm-hmm. that consistent guy. You know, in the past, you would look at Rory and say, okay, Rory looks very dangerous here being five shots back. But also, his lack of consistency has been kind yeah. of incredible over the last several years. And, and he just really hasn't been able to find it. To me, I think Thomas is the guy that you have to worry about here. And I also think, too, that 
maybe an Abraham answer is a guy that you have to worry about here as well, because based on the conditions that are out there, when you look at the guys that are having good rounds here today, they're largely doing so with the putter. So answers a guy that can get very, very hot with the flat stick. Mm -hmm. And if he's a guy that's making putts doing essentially what Zalatoris has been doing throughout the course of this tournament, that's a guy that plays well enough tee to green and can make putts. That's a guy that maybe kind of pushes this out to seven under something like that here today. Kind of put a little bit more pressure on the top two guys. Answer right now in a matchup with Rory McIlroy over at BetMGM. Answer is plus 150, Rory minus 190. Are you intrigued by that answer price there? Yeah, I, I would be. I mean, Answer is really outplaying Rory in terms of strokes gained approach in this tournament. And also, you know, Answer's a guy who, Rory's a good putter. Answer's mm-hmm. you know, well above average putter, I would say. So to me, I, I think, yeah, I think that plus 150 makes some sense here, especially because Answer, you know, I think one of the things that's really difficult, too, is on a day like today, a lot of the big hitters, you can have the bigger misses. You know, you could be a guy that all of a sudden something goes way offline for you and ends up being a pretty big issue. You wind up, you know, somewhere that you really don't want to be. But I think a guy like Answer, you know, maybe he can play it a little bit safer because he can trust in that putter a little bit more. So I think Answer over McElroy is actually not a bad play here today. Yeah, that's intriguing to me because Rory is a guy that he just has not been able to put rounds together. Mm-hmm. He always has that one round where it's like, oh, Rory could be back. Maybe that was Thursday when he was the leader after the first round. But I, I don't know if I can ever trust Rory. T- and this, he's eventually guys have to start proving it again. Mm-hmm. And Rory's done it, and he's going like he's won every major except for the Masters. But it's like eventually you have to kind of prove it that you can consistently put that together because that's what you need to do to win these tournaments here. You can't just have one good round and then be so-so the rest of the weekend there. Um, Answer to me is very intriguing. We might have found ourselves a bet here with Abraham Answer against Rory McIlroy. But right now, just Justin Thomas to me is the guy that I would be fearful of if I had a Zalatoris ticket or a Mito Pereira ticket there because I think Justin Thomas is someone that could really uh, just tear the course apart because he did it yesterday with the conditions being bad. Now he's in a head to head today with Bubba Watson, who speaking of tearing the course apart, tied the record. there, shot a 63 yesterday and Bubba Watson right now, plus 175 head to head with JT Thomas minus 225. I don't think I'd want to lay that, but Bubba's a guy that I, I think he, he could come back to the pack here after shooting a 63 on Friday. Well, and, and the thing for Bubba is he's playing really well tee to green, and he's not putting particularly well. He's He's been about a, an average putter here for the event, whereas Thomas, the putters kind of saved him a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, today with the conditions that we have, you know, again, I think putting is going to just be such a big factor. If, if you can scramble enough to save par or maybe keep a bogey from becoming a double bogey, that's what I think you're really looking for here today. And maybe Bubba doesn't really have that in him with the putter, but it seems like Thomas is reading these greens really well this week. Yeah, once again, Justin Thomas plus 350 to win the PGA Championship. Roy McIlroy, he's at 8-1. to one. Bubba Watson at 20-1. to one. Cam Smith, a guy that a lot of people like here, 22-1. to one. He's already won on the tour this season. On the other side, we bring in our first guest, of the show this morning. Derek Cardi, MLB betting analyst and fantasy analyst over at Roto-Grinders to talk all things baseball. This is BAA presented by BetMGM. This is Betting Across America on VSIN, the sports betting network. 
Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vcin.com to check the current betting splits data. The betting splits page will show you where the money and bets are moving for every game, and now it is updated every 10 minutes so you can see changes in all the action. You'll be able to see where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not just today's action, but future events as well. Betting splits are another way vcin is here to make you a smarter better year-round. So check out today's betting splits for every game at vcin.com. Welcome back. This is Betting Across America, presented by BetMGM. Femi Abebefe alongside Adam Burke here at the VEASAN Studios at the South Point Hotel and Casino. And it's 930, so we should bring in our first guest here, talking all things Major League Baseball. He's an MLB fantasy and betting analyst over at Roto Grinders. His name is Derek Cardi. Derek, we appreciate you joining us here this morning on Betting Across America. I want to start off here because baseball is always a tricky sport to handicap. So where are you finding success early on here in this MLB? season yeah so i mean i have a projection system that projects everything and it's really just about finding uh you know finding where the value is i mean obviously early in the year we had the whole situation with the ball and so all the unders were hitting and so if you're able to get on that that wound up being profitable um i'm not sure if that's going to be the case anymore going forward i think the market's adjusted i think the ball could be changing obviously temperatures are going up so really it's just a matter of evaluating on any given day or any given slate you know, where organically there's value and, and finding the best line at the best time. Derek, you've got a new feature for us over at vston.com. I know you and I've been in communication about that. Why don't you tell the listeners and, and the viewers here what you've got going on and, and what you think the value is of that uh, daily article? Yeah, so we have this new article that gives um, little bite-sized insights for every single team, every single game, every single day, each one with kind of a unique um, – you know, betting angle that would apply to, you know, either, you know, a game line or a player prop line. So, you know, it might say, okay, uh, you know, this pitcher's spin rate has been down in his last three starts. Um, so you might think, okay, well, that's not something that everybody's going to know or notice, you know, it might not be baked into the line. And so maybe I want to think about betting the other team's money line, or maybe I want to think about betting the under on that pitcher's strikeout prop, or it'll say, you know, today, Starling Marte is hitting seventh in the lineup when for most of the year he's been hitting second, which means he's going to get fewer at bats or he's going to get, you know, fewer opportunities for RBIs and runs. And so all of those player props for him, you might think about, you know, hitting the under on or that sort of thing. And it finds all sorts of valuable insights based on my projection system, the bat, all of the different inputs that go into it. Um, you know, different things having to do with, you know, the players underlying skills or, you know, contextual game factors, and uh, it tries to find, you know, interesting things uh, for every single game. And, uh, yeah, we think it's really cool. So check it out. Um, and, uh, you know, any feedback, you know, you know, I'm always listening about it. We're speaking with Derek Cardi, MLB fantasy and betting analyst over at Roto Grinders. Derek, let's project into the future because I'm really fascinated by this AL Cy Young market over at BetMGM. Justin Verlander right now is the favorite at five to one, but I'm looking at six, seven guys here with ten to one odds or better. Would you kind of bunch it in that six there, or is there a long shot who could emerge here out in the American League? Yeah, it's uh. You know, like you said, Verlander, I think, is probably the guy. But I think there are any number of pitchers that you can probably make the case, um, you know, for having a shot this year. Um, I think a guy like Shane McClanahan for, for the Rays is really interesting. Um, I think a guy like Dylan Cease is interesting. I think Garrett Cole. Um, I think he's a guy that, 
you know, at, I mean, he's not even second here and you can make the case that he's the best pitcher in the American league. So I think if I was going to just place one bet on these guys, I think Cole at plus 750 is probably the guy that I'd be looking at. Derek, one of the things that I've noticed here over the last couple of weeks or so is that strikeout rates are down. You know, it does look like pitchers are just not afraid to pitch to contact with the humidor and the baseballs and, you know, everything that we've kind of talked about throughout the course of the season already. Is that something that takes time for the bat and for your projection system to account for, or is that something where you're already actively making the adjustments? Yeah, so that's something that at least my projection system, the bat, uh, adjusts for automatically it looks at um, kind of the league-wide run environment for every single stat. So for strikeouts, it'll look at what the strikeout rate for stats, what the strikeout rate has been across the league this year. It will adjust for parks and weather and pitchers, especially early in the year when samples are small. And, uh, and it'll look at also kind of uh, the, recent, the recent trend in any statistic. So for strikeouts, what the recent strikeout rate across the league has been adjusted for all those factors. Uh, and it also looks at how long it takes for those things to be believable, basically how long it takes to stabilize. And so based on that, it can say, okay, well, based on what's happened so far, the stabilization rate and the context, this is what we should expect the strikeout rate to be today or going forward. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's really cool. It constantly adjusts every night with the latest data. So it's constantly on top of that sort of thing, especially if it does start to shift throughout the year. So what do you make of that personally in terms of the strikeout rate going down? We've also probably seen walk rates go down a little bit as well, just because, as I said, pitchers are, are not really worried about pitching to contact because the ball is just not carrying. What, do you think that there are some teams that that may help or hurt more than others? Yeah, I mean, obviously with the ball not carrying, uh, that's going to benefit teams that have a disproportional amount of fly ball pitchers because, you know, they're giving up a lot of fly balls, but not as many of them are actually clearing the fence. So in a relative sense, they do get, you know, a boost there. Let's take a look at today's card here, Derek. The Chicago White Sox taking on the New York Yankees in the Bronx. This one gets underway at the top of the hour here. 10.05, the first pitch, Dallas Keigel against Nestor Cortez. Looking at the odds over at BetMGM right now, the Yankees minus 200 there with the White Sox plus 170. The total's at nine. Is there any value in this game when you look at your projections? Yeah, so there's a little bit of value on the White Sox money line. Uh, not a ton, but definitely worth considering betting here. Um, we see it a lot of times, especially now that the Yankees are kind of starting to heat up a little bit, and Cortez has obviously been really good this year. Uh, a lot of times the public will overrate you know, the big market teams like the Yankees. Like everyone knows the Yankees are good, especially now that you know they're kind of performing that way mm -hmm. again. And so the value a lot of times is on the other side because – that's just how you know the books know people want to bet on the Yankees. They don't want to bet against them. And so the odds are kind of built to entice that way a little bit. I want to ask you about this Diamondbacks and Cubs game here real quick, Derek, because it kind of an outlier performance for Justin Steele last time out where you know, I just talked about it. Strikeouts are down around the league. He had 19 over his first six starts, but then struck out 10 in his last start against Arizona. Now he faces them again. So how do you sort of handicap and analyze those matchups where a starting pitcher is facing the exact same lineup pretty much for the second time in a row? Yeah. So, I mean, first you just evaluate it organically based on who the pitcher is, his skill set, you know, the skill set of the opposing lineup, who's actually in the lineup on any given day. Um, but then there's also a little factor where 
when a team, when an offense has seen a pitcher recently, they tend to do a little bit better in the next uh, outing against the guy. It's almost like in a like an extended third times through the order penalty, which is where you know pitchers tend to get worse throughout a game when they see a hitter for the second time, third time, fourth time, because the hitter is familiar with the pitcher, and we see that same sort of familiarity effect um, when starts are kind of back to back like this. So. You know, if they've seen Justin Steele recently, well, we should expect them to do a little bit better this time around because they just saw him. They know what to expect. They have that familiarity effect working in their favor. Uh, I'm really interested by this New York Mets team here because the New York Mets have been playing really well. The, the season didn't have good news to start off with here in the spring training, but they've been playing some really good baseball. Now Max Scherzer is going to be out for an extended period of time. They're 4-1 to one to win the NL, 8-1 to one to win the World Series. Eventually, knock on wood, they should get healthy at some point this season. Is this a chance to where this team, as good as they are right now, could possibly be even better later on once we get into the summer months and potentially into September and October? It's interesting because I think they're overperforming right now. Like my projection system thinks the Braves and the Phillies are better teams than the New York Mets right now. And that's not what the standings bear out. And so, yes, they're going to get better in the sense that they're going to have, you know, Jacob deGrom back and they're going to have Max Scherzer back. And presumably, you know, they will be at stronger health, you know, later in the year. Tyler McGill will come back. Um, but also, I don't think they're as good. As, as the Braves and the Phillies. And so I kind of expect to see the Mets to regress a little bit, especially in the near future while they're dealing with these injuries and to see, you know, the other teams in the division start to, to pick it up a little bit because they are um, underperforming, you know, their actual talent level. Derek, real quick, we got about 25 seconds here. So you think the Mets are an overachieving team. What about an underachieving team that you think should be performing better than they are? Yeah, I mean, so the Braves and the Phillies are absolutely among – the most underperforming teams right now. If I was going to pick out another one, I'd say probably the Boston Red Sox. That's just a tough division. I mean, you never know how it's going to work out, but uh, the Red Sox are, are clear, the clear fourth team so far. And I think you can make the case, you know, they're the third best team in that division. He is Derek Cardi, MLB betting and fantasy analyst over at Roto Grinders. Great info, Derek. Really appreciated you joining us this morning. We hope to talk soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. That's some really interesting stuff there that we can discuss all throughout the show. The Mets, not as high on them, despite them playing pretty well agree. while they're shorthanded. You agree on that? Okay, we can discuss that next, actually, on the other side. This is Betting Across America, presented by BetMGM. Discover BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Sign up today and win $200 if you place a $10 Moneyline wager on any NBA playoff game and either team hits a three-pointer regardless of your bet's outcome. Simply use bonus code VSIN200 when you place your first bet to take advantage of this offer. Enjoy the playoffs more than ever with BetMGM. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi, Nevada, or New York. All you got to do is place that $10 wager on any NBA playoff game. 
Welcome back. This is Betting Across America, presented by BetMGM. Family of Betbuffet, Adam Burke. We're kicking it here at the South Point Hotel and Casino. We just had Derek Cardi on the last segment, MLB betting analyst over at Roto Grinders. And I asked him about the New York Mets. New York Mets right now, seven and a half game lead in the NL East, 26 and 14. They're four to one to win the pennant, eight to one to win the World Series. But Derek said he's not really high on the Mets, and you agree. Why? Yeah, so look, I mean, obviously now they've had some pitching attrition, losing Tyler McGill and, and losing Max Scherzer as well. But when you look at the offensive profile of this team, they have 11 more infield hits than anybody else in Major League Baseball. So that's probably not something that's going to continue. I mean, I guess it could potentially. But their offensive profile is really jacked up by the fact that they've had a lot of batted ball luck, specifically with those infield hits. They rank 24th in hard hit percentage, and they're also very low in terms of barrel percentage. So their contact quality metrics don't look particularly good. And I presume with somebody as smart as Derek, with how plugged in he is with analytics, he's looking a lot at that contact quality data as well. So when you look at the Mets here, they're not really making the right kind of contact to have a lot of offensive success. So there's a lot of regression in that offensive profile then you take into account the fact that they have these starting pitcher injuries now. They're going to have to start filling in some different guys, kind of backfilling those rotation spots. And I think their bullpen's probably overperformed a little bit here too. So, look, I, I don't want to take away from the Mets. Obviously, that fan base has uh, certainly had a lot of rough days mm-hmm. with a lot of guys being on the injured <laughs> list and all that over the last few years. But I just don't think this team is as good as their profile suggests or as their record suggests right now. And their offensive profile specifically is something I don't really believe in. So who can we take a shot on to win the NL East? Because over at BetMGM, the Mets are minus 190. He said that he was higher on Atlanta and Philadelphia than he was. He thinks that the Braves and Phillies are better baseball teams than the Mets. The Braves right now plus 290 at BetMGM, the Phillies plus 600. Who would you take a shot on at this moment with the Mets now dealing with all these injuries? Eventually, one would think that they would catch up as we head into June and July. So there are two offenses right now in Major League Baseball that I cannot figure out why they have not performed as well as they should. One is the Toronto Blue Jays, and the other is the Atlanta Braves. Now, obviously, Ronald Acuna Jr. missed the first three, three and a half weeks of the season. That's a big loss for them. But he's back now. He's at the top of the order. He's starting to come into his own a little bit. He's been swinging the bat a lot better over the last week or so. The problem here is that both of those teams are already seven and a half games back. I Mm -hmm. probably need better than plus 290 on Atlanta to take a shot with them to win the East. But I said before the season that I thought the division still went through the Braves, and and I still believe that to be true, but plus 290 already with a a seven-and-a-half game deficit is is a pretty difficult bet to make, I think. But with that being said, between the two, the Braves and the Phillies, the Braves have the better bullpen. I think the Braves still have the better offense, even though Philadelphia has a lot of big names and and guys hit for power. Mm -hmm. But Bryce Harper's already hurt. You know, Zach Wheeler's had some up and down velocity. I think he's okay now, but the Phillies are not a great defensive team and their bullpen is very, very bad. So I think between the two, I definitely prefer the Braves to the Phillies, but that's also why it's plus 290 versus six to one. Yeah. And we're talking about teams that you're higher on than what the market suggests as well. And one team that jumped out to you was the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox right now over at BetMGM, if they want to win the American League, I mean, it's going to be a long shot, but they're 25 to 1 to win the AL, 50 to 1 to win the World Series. Do you think that this is a team that has that sort of ceiling, or do you think that maybe it's just a team that's overlooked right now, but can make the postseason? And once they get to the playoffs, not much can happen after that. Yeah, I don't know if I see that kind of ceiling for them in terms of making the playoffs, but I do think, and look, I mean, they've won four of their last five. They've won, what is this, six of their last eight. 
they're starting to swing the bats a lot better now. Mm-hmm. And and there, this is something that I've been looking at and something I'm going to talk about on Sunday night during the run line. The humidor has had a significant impact across Major League Baseball. Obviously, people are probably tired of me saying it, but, <laughs> but it's, it's a, a, big it's a huge development. It's a <laughs> yeah. massive, massive development. But one of the things about the humidor is that cold weather cities were affected a lot more than some of the other ballparks that are out there. So if you look at expected metrics versus actual metrics, the biggest discrepancies are places like Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, uh, the Bronx, actually, ironically enough, even though the Yankees have played really, really well, mm-hmm. Detroit is another one. But Boston was another one where Fenway Park is effectively Coors Field of the East, but not this year. The humidor and the differences of the physical characteristics of the baseball have made scoring runs very hard at Fenway Park. Boston is starting to come out of that now. They started to come out of it on a road trip that went to Atlanta, and then they also played in Texas. But now they've come home, and they've been a lot better offensively as well. As it's warmed up a little bit and as they've had better fortunes with men in scoring position, the Red Sox are going on a bit of a run here, and their schedule really softens up as well. They play a couple more with Seattle here this weekend. Then they're at Chicago to take on the White Sox, who have struggled a ton this year. Then they play a five-game series against Baltimore, two games against Cincinnati, and then start a West Coast road trip by playing at Oakland. So the Red Sox are a team that I think is a play-on team over the next couple of weeks, and they've kind of already been one for the last week or so. But their offensive profile showed a lot of positive regression indicators as opposed to one like the Mets, where I'm seeing a lot of negative regression indicators. Yeah, the Red Sox minus 155 on the money line against the Mariners this afternoon. Seattle's plus 125. We'll get to that as we talk all things baseball. But let's look at the game that's about to get underway in about 15 minutes over in the Bronx. Yankees minus 225 against the Chicago White Sox. White Sox plus 180. The total sitting at nine here. Uh, What do you think stands out and what is the kind of valuable bet to possibly make? There might not be one, but what could be a valuable bet to make in this game? Well, one of the things that's tough about this game, one of the reasons why this line continues to move up now is that Yoan Moncada was ruled out for the White Sox today. He's got a soft tissue issue that he's dealing with, so he's not in the lineup here today. That's why this one's kind of moved a little bit. Because when you think about the White Sox, the one thing they continue to do this season is hit left-handed pitching. Mm -hmm. And as good as Nestor Cortez has been, he's a left-hander. So you would think that that gives the White Sox a little bit more of an opportunity here today. They've been a bottom five offense against right-handed pitching. They've been terrible in that split, but they've been better against lefties. And the problem here, two problems. One is that the Yankees make a ton of hard contact. And the second thing is that Dallas Keuchel's on the mound. And Dallas Keuchel has not pitched well at all this season, 554 ERA, 509 FIP. And he's a guy facing a right-handed heavy lineup here for the Yankees today. I I think that when you look at a game like this, I think the first indication is to probably take the over nine just because Mm -hmm. you've got a couple of starting pitchers that don't match up well against these two lineups. But the fact that Cortez has pitched so well I think is, you know, why a lot of people are just piling on the Yankees here in this one, even though we used to see line moves on the White Sox against lefties pretty much every time they faced one. The over is juiced at minus 120 over at BetMGM. We have a couple more minutes left in this segment. Let's squeeze in some more games here. Diamondbacks taking on the Cubs over there in the friendly confines. Chicago minus 135 on the money line. The D-backs plus 110 with a total of seven and a half. Yeah, it's really interesting. Total of seven and a half for this one. Yesterday's game, they had 20 mile per hour winds blowing out. I believe there were... 11 home runs hit in that game or something like that. It, it was just, it <laughs> was, a, it was a slug fest. I mean, it was just the, the ball was carrying all over the place. Maybe it's eight home runs. I don't know. It was a lot of them. Mm. Um, but then today you see a seven and a half. And, and that's something really important to keep in mind is that they don't even post overnight totals at Wrigley field just yeah. because they want to see what that weather forecast looks like specifically the wind. 
I think this is a, a pretty interesting handicap because as we've talked about with Derek, Justin Steele just faced this Diamondbacks lineup and actually had his best start of the season with the 10 strikeouts. Is that repeatable? I would say probably not. But you look at these two teams, both bullpens have performed pretty well here of late. Seems like we've got conditions conducive for and under. It's going to be chilly in Chicago, winds blowing in a little bit. So to me, I mean, look, I, the minus 120 on the under is, is a pretty steep price to pay. But I think I would lean towards Arizona here. They've won a lot of close games so far this season. Madison Bumgarner doesn't have the sexiest pitching profile, mm -hmm. but he's made a lot of really good adjustments under pitching coach Brent Strom, something I wrote about earlier this week in Point Spread Weekly. So I'll lean towards Arizona here at the plus money price for me. 12.07, our first pitch in Toronto. Reds taking on the Blue Jays here. He said Toronto's offense has confused you. They should be better than what they are. They're minus 250 against Cincinnati, who is plus 200. The total sitting at eight. Yeah, and, and Hunter Green is a guy that there's a lot of promise. There's a lot of upside there. He throws incredibly hard. He's also given up a lot of home runs so far this year and walked a lot of guys, too. Now, Toronto doesn't walk, so maybe this is a, a better matchup for Hunter Green than we're giving him credit for. The Blue Jays have been awful with men in scoring position all year long, and so they've had a lot of problems scoring runs. They've been able to win close games. Honestly, I could talk myself into the Reds plus one and a half at plus money okay. just because I don't think that Hunter Green's high walk rate comes into play as much in this game, but that would just be a lean at most. Have the Reds turned a corner? <laughs> Uh, they, they couldn't be any worse. They couldn't be any worse. And all you need, if you get plus one and a half, they just got to lose by one or less, you know? And that's, you get in at plus money, plus 105 over at BetMGM. On the other side, though, we're going to turn our attention to the NFL. We start hour number two talking teams against the spread. What makes a good cover squad? We discuss it next here on VCNV Sports Betting Network.